I'm Chris from Play Comics, a show where we look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material, a part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other astonishingly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the official Gonna Geek Show. I am Steven, and with me, of course, is the fantastic Chris Farrell. I prefer the official Chris Farrell. That's true. It is the official Chris Farrell, but we've mm-hmm. also got with us the unofficial SP. Hey guys, how's it going? You know, I have a suggestion for a future podcast. I think, you know, the intro has us each with three different outfits on past shows that we've been on. I think we should have a poll to our listeners to uh, figure out which of those outfits that all three of us should appear on a future show. You know, like your pink robe. Steven, I think would be the winner for you. I have been asking for a very long time for you to please get a poll for your video that you send me, but you just keep refusing. So I'm I'm up for this. I'm looking forward to your your poll. It, well, by poll I mean like a survey. No, you locked in under under the other. No, say, I didn't no? lock in. Yeah, yeah. I didn't lock it in under anything. I think we should reprise our costumes in the intro. Fair enough. So am I, am I just going to wear that then from now on? The pink house coat? Is that what's going to no, happen? No, just on a show. Oh, just like, a show. What, yeah. What is the audience favorite for a show? Okay. So a show. So is this like before B show or what? Because like, I think all episodes have been C shows. So we got to work our way up to the A show here. That's charitable. C show. I mean, we, we are D listers for Fair sure. Enough, if huh? anything. <laughs> Oh, uh, hey, if you didn't know this, next week we're not going to have an episode, uh, just so everybody knows. We'll get that out here right there right now. So this week is... uh, Soak all of this in is what I'm trying to say. Soak it all in. Take it all in because this has to hold you over for two weeks. Chris, I didn't know this. Did you know this? Uh, I think so. We kind (laughs) of kicked it around. There was a one point in time that one of us was going to host it, and then I broke Steven's heart when I told him I didn't have any of the assets for the uh, 2021 version of the Gunna Geek show. That was this week, but then I ended up being able to do this week. It was always canceling next week. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What exactly is in your mug? Well, some of it's coffee. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So anyways, uh, enjoy all of this fine, fine cuisine tonight. Tastes so good. All right. So I heard that Tesla, the the company, the motoring company, was going to be starting to get into the music scene, that there was a Tesla band that was coming soon. Is that what this is about? Is a Tesla band? Yes. Oh, wait, sorry. It was a Tesla ban with no D. Oh, well, this is you've already disappointed me with this news article because I thought there was a Tesla band coming. What are you? My parents tell me you disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) That was a joke. 
That was a joke before anyone gets upset. (laughs) (laughs) That was done for internet lols. But no, we are talking about a ban for Tesla. So let's go and tell a little bit of a story about things that have happened. Last week, something kind of strange happened. For those that are not aware, for a long time, at least a couple years now, Tesla had banned salvaged Model 3s from being able to access the supercharger network. Meaning if you bought your Tesla Model 3 at an auction and then repaired it, things like that, Tesla probably had banned it from working with the supercharger network. Now, they did it on a VIN-by-VIN basis, so some of these vehicles were not caught and could still supercharge. But at one point in time, I do believe, and others online have speculated, speculated excuse me, that Tesla was trolling through the auto auction sites to get VINs of salvaged Teslas so they could then ban them from accessing the supercharger network. This is something that's long been documented and widely talked about in a variety of YouTube videos and a variety of blog posts, things like that. Where I actually first started hearing about it was in a YouTuber by the name of Rich Benoit's YouTube channel. For those that may not recognize that name, he also goes by the name Uncle Rich or Rich's Rebuilds. You know, he's the guy that back in 2016 bought a flooded, damaged Tesla Model S and basically did a ton of YouTube videos about how he was restoring that flooded Model S back to fully functioning and putting it back on the road. And he's rebuilt a bunch of different Tesla vehicles. He spun that off rather into owning his own electrified garage, as they call it, which is basically three different locations I think they have now that are designed to repair electrical vehicles with a bunch of former Tesla staffers, things like that. If there's someone that knows about how repairing salvaged Teslas, it's rich. And one of the things that he had shown on there before was that salvage vehicles didn't work on the supercharger network. He'd shown, for example, his salvage Model 3 at one point in time was blocked. He went to the supercharger network. It wouldn't charge properly, threw up an error message. He also did admit Tesla does have the right to block vehicles on their own network, but it's always been a bit of a head-scratcher to him as to why they might do that. Why is it a head-scratcher, you might ask? Well, a lot of the vision behind Tesla is sustainable cars that... You know, we recycle, reuse things. Tesla just recently published an article saying, hey, we recycle. Some articles said 96%, some said 100% of all of the battery contents. When a battery is brought back, it's all recycled. So people refurbishing salvaged Teslas, they're literally recycling, which is putting more EVs on the road. So it's always been kind of interesting that Tesla had banned them, which made it even more surprising when last week, out of nowhere, people reported plugging their salvaged Teslas into the supercharger network and they're charging all of a sudden. And it's working. And everyone goes, what the heck? And of course, Tesla had told no one about this. So it was just someone who tried it and started working. And in the most recent video that Rich had posted on his Rich's Rebuilds channel, he and his sidekick, Steven, took their salvaged off-road Model 3. And if you haven't seen it, this is pretty cool. They basically took a Model 3 and turned it into a Mad Max vehicle and have been doing like dirt courses. They ripped the bumper off going through waves and stuff like that. It's actually really cool. So they took this salvaged, heavily modded Model 3 and started taking it to the superchargers, and it was working again. They had some weird billing issues, but it was working until it stopped working like yesterday. People started reporting again that salvaged Tesla's not working all of a sudden. Something happened. We're not sure what. A lot of people are assuming this is a software glitch or something weird that went on, but the problem is no one really knows because Elon Musk famously disbanded Tesla's PR department over a year ago at this point in time. So all of the tech blogs, all of the EV blogs, all of the folks that are in the press that have reached out to Tesla for comment, I've gotten no comment whatsoever because there's no PR department to reach out to. So no one really knows, A, how these got turned back on, and B, why they got turned back off. The assumption is 
it was a software glitch of some kind. Now, why did Tesla ban these to begin with? A lot of people theorize, and Tesla has kind of said, safety issues. We can't guarantee that any of these vehicles connected to our supercharger network are in safe working order, and we don't want to have to be responsible if someone has modified their vehicle or repaired their vehicle improperly, and it causes damage. That's a fair statement, I would say. But at the same time, Tesla has how many service centers across the country? One would think they could adopt some kind of program where it's like, okay, I have gotten my Model 3 repaired. It has a salvage title. Let me take it into the service center so you can plug it in your computer and do your cursory X point inspection that says, yay, verily, I can plug this into your super supercharger network and start paying you again. So what's the lesson learned in all of this? If you're considering an EV and you're considering a Tesla, be very, very careful if you're deciding to buy a salvaged Tesla because it may have supercharger access now and it may go away and there's really nothing you can do about it besides acknowledge the fact that you can no longer supercharge in the Tesla network. So be very careful and we can all keep our fingers crossed and for whatever good it'll do, that Tesla may decide at some point in time to allow you to bring your vehicle in for a health check, for lack of a better term, to get supercharger access reinstated. It's obviously something very simple to give supercharger access back to these vehicles with salvage titles because it just happened last week and then disappeared in the blink of an eye. I'm kind of surprised they don't already have a routine inspection capability for the Teslas to have access to the network because if a battery is going bad, like you had a couple of bad cells for whatever reason, right? Then you wouldn't want them to overheat. So my understanding is they do. It's just the Tesla does these things automatically. So if you're having a problem, it can notify the service folks who will then in turn notify you via text, email, or phone call, things like that. So based off of the sensors and the technology and the internet connection that vehicle has, they're able to know and notify and say, hey, you need to come in for repairs. There's just some kind of disconnect when it comes to salvage vehicles versus vehicles bought that have never had damage like that causing repairs or the need for repairs. Yeah, we we know... We know exactly the reason why the, these are actually being banned, but um, I won't say it, but we know. We know that it's, it's not the reason that they're stating. To get people to buy new cars? Is that your theory? Perhaps. That, that would be very similar to what I was thinking. So, well, uh, yes. So, <laughs> I, I tend, at first, I sort of agreed with that. But if you think about it, Tesla's built how many charging stations across the country? I'm not trying to be a Tesla defender here. I'm just thinking out loud. They've got all of these charging stations, and anytime a v- Tesla vehicle has issues, whether it's a user that made the changes or Tesla itself, it's bad press. The last thing you want is Stephen, who decided to modify his battery pack to get an extra five kilowatt hours somehow, plugging into the supercharger network, and that modification causing that car to catch on fire. So I think there is a need, not necessarily to block these cars off indefinitely, but they've got the service centers everywhere to bring the car in and be like, look, I've done the right thing, which is I bought this salvage car admittedly for a cheaper price, but I've put the time, effort, and money into repairing it to make it work again. Why don't you guys and charge me 300 bucks or 500 bucks for it, do the test to see whether this can be approved to be an approved supercharger vehicle again or something like that. I don't think that's too far out there. Mark Watney didn't have to do any of this, by the way. He, when True. he needed to extend the battery on his vehicle, he just signs the stuff out of it and made it happen. 
That is true. I, I don't still fully believe your explanation because when people see idiots at gas stations doing dumb things, they don't blame the vehicle when when they mishandle their gas or they're, you know, driving a vehicle that they've done poor repairs on and it catches on fire somewhere. Like they don't go and blame the vehicle. They blame the dumbass who's doing that. In an ideal world, that's would be how it works. But if we look at the press coverage that's been out there on a lot of these things, it's not really the person that gets the blame if it's an EV because it's more scandalous and more interesting than, oh my God, it's an electric vehicle that did this because people have agendas. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, um, but but here's the thing is those Teslas are not being, they're not stopped being on the road because of this. They just don't have access to the charger. So that kind of falls apart because it could still very well catch on fire somewhere else. That is true, but it does limit where you can go with that. If you don't have a supercharger based off the current infrastructure that's out there, you ain't going very far depending on where you live with an EV. But uh, here's the thing, though. I think it depends on where you live because I've been thinking a lot about the whole EV thing because there has been a huge influx in EVs where I live. And and I would say the majority of those are probably daily drivers. There is no supercharger. Maybe there's one somewhere is near me, but they're not, not everybody's using this because it's just, there is only one, if that's the case, everybody's charging at home. And, and these are daily drivers. And I would like to know what the percentage is of people who are actually needing these superchargers versus sure. the percentage that are, are using them as their daily drivers charging at home. Because I, again, I, I, I am much more cynical than you are on this, Chris. And, uh, you, it's probably good that you're trying to talk me off well, of that cynicism so ledge. <laughs> I don't disagree with you that they have other intentions other than just trying to claim safety. But the thing is, make it so people can put these vehicles back on the road fully. The, an inspection program, something like that. These things are always connected back to the mothership. The mothership knows the status of things. They could probably do the bulk of these checks without even being in an actual shop to do battery health checks, motor health checks, things like that. There needs to be some kind of methods that you can put these cars back on the road because we're talking about cars that the base model was like 38K when we're talking about a short range Model 3 or it may have been 34 depending on when people bought it. But that's not exactly a cheap vehicle. And as you start getting into the long range vehicles, we're talking late 40s, early 50s. So let's make it so these can stay on the road more. I've got the great solution here. Okay. Take all the salvage title vehicles and all the vehicles that have previously had battery issues and you ship them to one location to sell really cheaply. And that location then will be the repository for all this stuff. Say, say like, you know, 1950s cars, Cuba, right? Well, for EVs that are salvaged, I think the obvious place that they need to go to is Canada. <laughs> Sure, we'll take to them. Why not? We, we we got lots of space so we can put them. Sure, and and then if there's fires or they disrupt charge superchargers, whatever, that would be all on your network and not on ours. Yeah, that's fine. No, no, if we're seriously going to go down this path of of you know, it's not good to refurbish EVs, then that is a problem in itself on the EV market on on why it will never fully take off. You can put all the incentives you want on the EVs. You can 
You can EVs go and you have can... already taken off no, but... because there's a roadster that took off into oh, space. Fair enough. Okay, sure. fair sure. enough. But you can you can tax the heck out of gas vehicles all you want. But if if in eight years you got that first time EV buyer sitting there going, but my Cavalier lasted 15 years, that's where people will start and they'll go, you know what? I'll pay the higher taxes on the gas. Thank you very much. And, and that's what's going to happen because well, you can't you cannot operate EVs based off of a disposable model. And and so if you are at all going to try to argue that they shouldn't be refurbished, then you are fitting a square peg into a round hole, the round hole being many, many, many decades worth of modern automobile history where people can go and they can do work on their vehicles and they can make that crappy Cavalier run an extra 50,000 kilometers. Salvage title is different than repairing a vehicle. Right. And, and there's, yes. there's a We're huge market. We're salvage titles in this scenario here. Same thing. Lots of people do salvage work because they, they're, you know, people that are they're either body people or they're just, they have a business based off of it. There's still, t- there's a, a good market in that. And so I think that, um, so, yeah. And let me preempt you here. Some of these problems we're having with salvage title EVs will probably go away as they become more prevalent because part of the reason they're being basically written off is because the cost to repair is so high because of part scarcity and they're not being a bunch of people who do work on these. So, so in some cases, it's just a bunch of body damage, but they go and look at what needs to be done and go, oh, that's 40% the value of the car. Trash it and things like right. that. Like That's why Rich's electrified garage they've put together is such an interesting use case because they're existing outside of Tesla's network doing non-Tesla approved fixes in different ways. There was a video they just put out a month ago or so, where they fixed a battery pack that Tesla said would need to be replaced completely by replacing a plastic nipple on it. Because the way Tesla's part pieces worked, it was, oh, you can't just buy this individual part to do it, which is something they need to change and evolve out. Meanwhile, they took an electrified garage. It cost $750, most of which was transportation, to take the vehicle there and replace the coolant line and the broken nipple on it. So there are things that need to shake out that are probably not right yet. But the salvage title problem may go away in part because not as many vehicles are going to be considered scrapped as more are put on the road and there are more opportunities for repair is my understanding. Could you imagine the cars on a show like, not the actual show, but in a show like the Dukes of Hazards that was a bunch of EVs and how many times those cars were jumped and ruined and then rebuilt and then <laughs> jumped again and then ruined and then rebuilt and yep. jumped again and ruined and re could you imagine that like tesla would be like no that battery's gonna explode by the way uh steven you mentioned a cavalier that lasted 15 years and that got me into thinking when's the last time i saw a cavalier so i went to the holder of all knowledge wikipedia here, yeah and the production of Cavaliers ended in 2005. So if the Cavalier lasted 15 years, it would have ended in 2020. However, there was a version, not the same Cavalier, there was a version of Cavalier that was reintroduced in China in 2016. And the body that was the Cavalier was renamed the Mazna, 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 not Mazda, Mazna. M-O-N-Z-A, 
and started production in Mexico in 2022. So apparently the ghost of the Cavalier lives on, but the latest Cavaliers that were produced was 2005. So 15 year Cavalier would have been 2000. And I'm glad I don't see them on the road anymore. Uh, still some around here. Uh, I owned one at one point in my life and, and um, I bought it with a fair amount of mileage on it. And um, I traded it in for with a, with an even higher amount of mileage. And I wish I could find the paperwork because I, I, I want to say that I pushed 300. I, I, I want to say on it, but uh, and that's kilometers, by the way. But um, so like what? What is that? A, a hundred? I was going to say thousand it, 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 was, it was like 300 kilometers or 300 miles. That's what it was. Oh. <laughs> uh, you drop you drop a zero is a couple zeros but no Makes sense. Uh, <laughs> all right let's put aside the ev argument and talk about spacesuits because that seems like a natural progression from evs you just couldn't find a good segue no. there so you you kept the segment going so long that you're like okay finally we need to you know what's been banned spacesuits potentially <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> well, it hasn't been banned, but they're definitely delayed. And you're like, what? Spacesuits delayed? We've had spacesuits since the 50s. Well, yes, we have. However, there has been a delay of the newest development. So here's what's going on. The U.S. astronaut moon landing is not feasible by 2024 due to spacesuit delay. And this is a finding by the NASA Inspector General. And also, Elon Musk has offered to help. Woo! What's going on? The NASA Office of Inspector General released a report titled, quote, NASA's development of next generation spacesuits, unquote, on Tuesday, August 10th, 2021. In the report, the NASA Office of Inspector General concludes that despite spending a combined $420 million over 13 years, the first two moon rated exploration extra vehicle mobility units or XEMUs would not be ready until April 2025 at the earliest, with delays attributable to funding shortfalls, COVID-19 impacts, and technical challenges. Now, given these anticipated delays in spacesuit development, a lunar landing in late 2024, as NASA currently plans, is not feasible. Previous NASA Office of Inspector General reports have attributed moon mission delays to significant delays in other major Artemis lines of effort, including the Space Launch System rocket and the Orion capsule. So this is not new news. It's just the latest news. The report goes on to provide four recommendations to ensure the successful development of the XEMU. One, adjusting the schedule as appropriate to reduce development risks. So in program management terms, it's sliding to the right. Two, developing an integrated master schedule to incorporate and align the hardware deliveries and training needs of the dependent programs, Gateway, ISS, and the Human Landing System and the Flight Operations Directorate. Okay. Number three, ensuring technical requirements for the next generation suits are solidified before selecting the acquisition strategy to procure suits for the ISS and Artemis programs. And four, developing an acquisition strategy for the next generation spacesuits that meets the needs of both the ISS and Artemis programs. At this time, NASA aims to invest $625.2 million more into the development of the XEMUs, bringing the grand total to over $1 billion. Upon the announcement, SpaceX founder Elon Musk responded that he could help. In a tweet on August 10th, 2021, Elon stated, SpaceX could do it if need be. 
Okay. It's not clear exactly what that meant, but it would be interesting to see if collaboration will result in a possible shortened program with less risk. Until then, it's a wait and see game with NASA on when a confirmation of a lunar landing date will be. So spacesuits are just the latest delay in the entire program, which actually, if it receives more funding, might not be a delay. And you also have delays for the SLS and the Orion capsule, but spacesuits. What, why do we need a new spacesuits? Well, I actually read this 41-page report, which was very enlightening. We need new spacesuits because the spacesuits that we have now were designed in 1990. They were designed for the International Space Station and the shuttle program. Actually, they were just revisions of the original spacesuits that were designed for the shuttle program in the early 80s. So these are old. We need new ones. And here's the kicker. This is like anything else that's 45 years old. They can't source parts for the older suits. They have to actually find vendors that will go back and remanufacture parts so that they can upkeep the 16 or so suits that they have. I forget how many suits, active suits that they have now, but they spend $150 million in maintaining those suits every year. And uh, they need 16 for the Artemis program. And this, it's kind of amazing, right? You think, oh yeah, space program, they have a bunch of qualified spacesuits. Uh-uh, they don't have that many. They, they're only going to have 16 for the Artemis program. So interesting stuff, guys. And as far as the delays and stuff, my recap didn't go really in depth into it. But the fact is that there are needs based on who would win the human landing system contract, which has been given to SpaceX. Blue Origin is protesting. They protested twice now, and now they've filed a legal filing. But until those requirements are solidified, they don't know how much weight they can give. They don't know how, much, how big it can be. As a matter of fact, the EMUs, the XEMU design as it stands today, you cannot transit from the Orion to the human landing system within the tunnel that they have designed for the spacecraft. You would actually have to exit the Orion space capsule, go into space, and then enter in the human landing system in an extra vehicle or uh, maneuver, rather than actually just going through the tunnel because the tunnel is too small for the basically the backpacks. It's, it's called PLSS, but the, the backpacks. So interesting stuff. And uh, we'll put the... A link to the NASA, the 41 page NASA PDF in the show notes. And it is a fascinating read. So uh, let me ask you this. Do you, in your opinion, do you think this whole evolution of the spacesuit was um, neglected as, as far as anticipating the need? Because to me, when you saw the uptick in the private sector getting in, we we did whole conversations on this podcast about the spacesuit concepts that were being uh, positioned and how different they were. And, and so to me, being that the private sector was developing things that were, were quite different, that seems to me the writing should have been clearly on the wall for NASA that, hey, maybe the current design is old and maybe we should look at new tech. And, and so it's weird to me this is coming so late. Well, good point. So I did not clarify. So these are spacesuits for basically their personal spacecrafts is right. what NASA calls them because they 
are your protection against space outside of a space ship. And the spacesuits that you are referring to were the spacesuits that SpaceX made for the Crew Dragon. So those are interior spacesuits. Those are different. They, they're not meant to withstand the hardened radiation of space or the vast amounts of cooling and heating that you would get outside the spacecraft. So it is a different animal inside and outside. So SpaceX did develop their own because the spacesuits that the shuttle program had just for launch and recovery were different than the ones that you would wear outside the space shuttle. And they were old as well. So SpaceX needed to develop and design their own. So they had that done. These have not been done. Uh, and, and also, when you're talking about the evolution of everything, I have been, until a couple of years ago, or, or maybe even 18 months ago, I've been really skeptical that we'd actually go back to the moon or to the Mars. I think you guys have known me long enough to remember skeptical SP, like, nah, this is sure. never going to happen. That stems from the fact that we've had many, many failed programs, like named programs, the latest of which was the Constellation program, which was ripe with cost overruns, mismanagement, not clear objectives. And that was canceled in 2010. When Constellation was canceled in 2010, Artemis was born. But I thought Artemis was just going to be another constellation. It was going to be mismanaged. There was going to be no push to go back to the moon and Mars, whatever. So the spacesuit development has languished ever since, even before Constellation, but definitely during Constellation. And then when you get in the Artemis program, I don't think anybody actually thought we'd go back. I mean, they were all planning on it, but I don't think anybody put two and two together. And then when you do put two and two together, you have a ton of other stuff that you have to spend money on. James Webb, cost overruns there. Other space exploration that's unmanned, they generally have cost overruns, so that money has to come from somewhere, right? Hubble Not repairs. Well, that happened at, at some point. No, no, he, he said that James Webb took all of the money. This is why we should be spending, spending money on the Hubble. That's what he said. <laughs> I was saying unexpected expenses being Hubble repairs, but okay. No, he, yeah, he, he, mean, said, he said it. He said that James Webb was single-handedly responsible for not oh developing these space words in my mouth. That's not why I wasn't bringing this up for a gag, but I imagine the time they've had to spend in repairing that has not been cheap. No, I mean, it's been a while. It's, the shuttle was the last time we were up at the Hubble to actually insert new hardware. So it's been a while. But that's my point. It's been a while. We were without a way to launch humans into space for a decade. I mean, that was money that NASA was spending uh, on, on the uh, commercial startups of Boeing, which we'll talk about in a second, and SpaceX with the Crew Dragon. So they've had money going every which way, and they're trying to get keep the International Space Station going. So they're giving money to Russia for rides and cargo and stuff like that. So this is not a free program. They're spending money here and spending American tax dollars, actually, to make this stuff happen. So it doesn't surprise me that they didn't have enough to get to where they needed to by the stated date of 2024. I think if if you want to just go back and play the what if politics, if President Trump was still president for these four years, for this four year term, he wouldn't have made his stated goal of being in office when 
the uh, Artemis went back to the moon just because of all these delays. It just, it, it wasn't going to happen. And Stephen, you've often joked about the delays for James Webb or the fact that we'll never see it in space. Well, yeah, I, I get why, because of all these delays and the spacesuit thing is just the latest one. Well, I look forward to whatever SP space suit symposium cooks up to sell. I'm sure you're going to have something like that soon. I like the alliteration. <laughs> Why not? We can make hundreds of millions of dollars and not have to deliver anything. <laughs> I want in on this. Where, where do I sign up for this? Give uh, me free money, please. Uh, NASA RFIs. Just reply to them. I'm going to reply to them all saying, give me free money. I work for Steven. Maybe there's an industry that has a lot of consultants that don't that just give away poor advice that could teach us how to sell things that people hey, shouldn't be buying. My job title was consultant at a former job. Let's be nice. <laughs> I think he's talking about podcast consultants, Chris. I said an industry. I, I said I wish there was an industry. Okay. I never specified. Steven, my suggestion to you is make sure you get an RSS feed. <laughs> everything's about the RSS feed. Nothing else matters. You need a website with back backlinks. And you got to make sure there's animated GIFs on there. And I said GIF, not JIF. Uh, it's a GIF. Don't fight I, anyone that I, says otherwise. I agree. It's a GIF. You don't GIF somebody at present. Uh, all right. Let's go ahead and move. <laughs> you know, you're not wrong. No. Uh, let's move on to the next news point here, which is all about something called matter. What is matter? Well, let's back up here because it's a smart home pro protocol. And I got to oh. give you a little bit of the backstory, because if you haven't had a chance to get yourself into the smart home game, you might not know that as it currently stands in August of 2020, sorry, in August of 2021, there's a lot of fracture with how these smart home devices work. You've got local protocols like Zigbee and Z-Wave. These talk to a hub. You have uh, different versions of these sort of things like Philips Hue technically runs on Zigbee, but it has its own little infrastructure. You have Wi-Fi devices. They go out to the cloud and talk to server servers and say, hey, Steven's trying to shut off his lights. Could you please shut them off now? And it sends it back out from the servers down through the cloud into the rain system and into your house. And then you have all of these centers, these control devices for the smart products where they are things like the Amazon Echo devices or the Google Home devices or the Apple HomeKit integrations. All of these things that are tying into these smart homes. Well, they're all different. They all communicate. They all work differently. And they're pretty much segmented. Like you might have, say, for example, Wemo plugs. Technically speaking, those Wemo plugs are talking differently to a Google Home device versus an Amazon Echo device. That's just the way that it works. You might have a device that can connect to an Amazon Echo, but can't connect to an Apple HomeKit infrastructure. You have all of these differences. Well, here's the thing. A couple of years ago, there was a big movement to create a new standard and an open source standard at that that would help ensure cross-compatibility of these devices across a, a standardized protocol. At the time, this was launched as Project Connected Home over IP, and they shortened it to CHIP. They discovered the project out of their, their initials there. But why did this project at all seem promising? Because there are lots of things that people make in the tech world that go nowhere. Well, this is because the founding members of Project Connected Home over IP included Google, Amazon, 
Apple and even the Zigbee Alliance, which is the de facto organization or de facto, I should say, organization that stood for Zigbee protocols. That's a lot of big players at the game in the current smart home world. Since launch, many others have also got involved. And last year, it was announced that they would change the name from Chip to Matter. And they would launch Matter in 2021 with the first native Matter-supported devices at the end of 2021. Now, personally, through all of this, I've taken a sort of wait-and-see approach because I have, a lot of, have had a lot of reservations about this, just surely due to the amount and the, the stature of the parties involved with this, because you're looking at companies that haven't traditionally always gotten along the best all coming to this table here. So I kind of wanted to see what would happen because, again, it seems like a very large, tall order to ask all of these people to work together. And, it, and admittedly, I will say, I was getting a little excited in recent months because things were starting to look a little promising. For example, in May, Philips Hue, who again, technically runs off of the Zigbee protocol, but they have their own infrastructure called Philips Hue, they announced that they would make their hubs, the thing that all the light bulbs talk to, compatible with matter. This was a great example on how a, a big company that has an existing infrastructure with products which likely could not be converted over to this matter protocol might find a way to make it work. So all these bulbs could talk to the Philips Hue hub and that would be the thing that does matter. So essentially, it would be a way for these existing user base to get matter. Additionally, about a month ago, Amazon put out an announcement that most of their Echo devices would support matter. So a lot of good things stacking up. However, this weekend, the brakes were pumped, pumped as hard as you might pump a 1990 Chevy Cavalier. Because here's the thing, is they said that it's now being delayed to, quote, sometime in the first half of 2022, end quote. There's been no real information about what this is going to mean for the devices that they said were coming. Presumably, they're probably also going to have tech problems with those just because obviously we're, we're in a tech crunch with a bunch of other things right now. But this was explained that this delay was caused by several factors, which included a desire to add more companies to matter. Of course, the new Delta variant of the COVID-19 pandemic causing problems. But also they said that it was hard to develop because it's a complicated it's it's hard to develop a complicated multi-device connectivity standard like matter. Hmm. Who could have guessed that bringing all of these companies together would be a, a tall order? Hmm. What was my wait and see idea? Hmm. Anyways, anyways, I I digress, but it has been delayed to sometime in the first half of 2022. And just to be clear, this is not the first delay. Originally, Chip was supposed to uh, launch, I believe, in 2020. Then it was pushed to 2021. And now we're in 2022. So we'll see. This, again, does come on the heels of that whole Amazon announcement not too long ago, about a month ago. But I don't know. We'll see. We will see. Stephen, what do you think about matter being delayed because of the chip shortage? Nice. Nice. Top marks, SP. Let's end the episode right there. Well done. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Hit the music.
Uh, why not? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I do want to know though. What do you guys think about this? Because I know, like, I, I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that I, I on this podcast have the most smart home stuff out of all of us. I, I think that yeah. I have, but I could be wrong. So for me, this whole thing has been fun for me to follow, just because I like the setup I've got. I think the setup I have will likely fit into whatever matter ends up being but I have just seen so many limitations trying to stick with the current framework that I have and other available products having to dismiss them because they don't do that. So I, I've been liking the idea of this, this standardization, especially with the names that are at the table right now. So I want to know, what's your thoughts on this and the delay going to 2022? First of all, I have to say that you have more smart devices in your holiday lighting display alone than both Chris and I combined. Probably true. <laughs> yeah. Probably. I mean, that, that's, that's a simple fact. And, and then another thing is, I'm glad that they're looking forward to some sort of combined protocol. I think it's going to be necessary as we go forward because you're going to need a way for all this stuff to communicate as you go forward to a true combined household. It's just so divided right now that I... I have to have things on different networks or different apps in order to use everything. And I would prefer just, even if it was semi-functional, I would just prefer one app to be able to control them all. And if it's this chip protocol, matter protocol, whatever you want to call it, I am 100% behind it. I didn't really understand it until recently. And definitely after you posted this story, I did a lot of research into it and I, I know it's going to be delayed and it's probably delayed for all the good reasons as a lot of the tech stuff has been delayed over the last 18 months. But I think once it finally hits, if it can be sustained, then it will be amazing for the industry. I agree. Uh, what's your thoughts, Chris? So this is a temporary bridge right now to try and make it so that everything works together. I, if I were these folks, my long-term plan is Everything communicates using the matter protocol versus being smart things, jerry-rigged to work with matter, things like that. So what they need to do now is basically just make all of these pieces work so that they can move forward using this new protocol method, whatever. It's not an easy thing to do because we've talked about and complained on this show before about how many different ways there are to do things, how many ways we've jury-rigged system A to work <laughs> with system B that was never supposed to do that. And how when system C that connects them breaks, nothing works anymore, i.e. when IFT went to a premium model, I know I lost a bunch of functionality because I did not deem what it did worth the money to pay for it because it was generally just a band-aid for something I thought was cool versus something I needed. So this is all really cool if it works. The caveat here is if it works, it sounds great on paper, but I've heard a lot of things in the smart home world <laughs> that sound great on paper. And then I get them and I go, Oh, this is a piece of crap. The what are they thinking? Well, I mean, that's one of them. Yeah. I mean, I was just talking about that the other day with someone. And God, that's probably what 300 episodes ago at this point in time when I bid on that terrible thing and I talked <laughs> about it on this show. But uh, that is the problem is we're often promised really cool stuff when it comes to smart home, home assistant devices and things like that. And these big vendors oftentimes hit the mark, but other times they don't. And these th and all of these different protocols being so disparate and different, I don't know how they're going to make them all work together. And even once this goes live and starts working, I wouldn't be shocked if it's, hey, this function in 
Google HomeKit isn't going to work properly with this function through Amazon's protocol and things like that. I don't know that it's going to 100% work. I think we might get to say a 90% solution, which is better than where we are now. But we already know some stuff's getting left behind. You talked about the fact that older Amazon hardware, for instance, Mm -mm. will not work with this. And I think I have some of that older hardware in my house because I have a Gen 1 Echo. And I think the Gen 2 Echo Dots might have been in that list, if I remember correctly, too. I'm not 100% sure now. Yeah, I don't recall either. I mean, I've got a Gen 1 Roku. I'm not going to depend on that for anything anymore. Matter of <laughs> fact, I don't even know why I still have it. I need I to get rid ask. of it. Yeah, I just need to get put it in recycling at this point. I mean, but the it, difference it, there is is that my Gen 1 Echo products work just fine still. The Gen 1 Roku product probably is no longer app supported at this point in time. Well, I look forward to seeing if this actually comes out next year or there is another delay. Slide right. Push it to the right. (laughs) All right. So this next news article here, uh, I understand that you're uh, making a pork and you're going to get it from the south. Is that right? Are you smoking something? I wish I had a smoker. My buddy Wayne has a smoker and he sends me photos all the time of the stuff he smokes. And it makes me really jealous because he'll get something and smoke it for 12 hours. Like, look at this. And I go. Mm, I got yes. lots of friends that smoke things for 12 hours, but we right. might be talking different things here. Yeah, you, it's legal there, Stephen. <laughs> it's legal there. We are not talking about South Pork. We are talking about South Park. So this is a cool story that came from probably about 10 days ago at this point, but I did want to talk about it because if you're paying attention to pop culture and animation and things like that, this is pretty neat. And I don't know if you all had seen, but the Comedy Central and Paramount had signed Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the creators of South Park, to do another six seasons of South Park, meaning it'll be up to season 30 when this deal runs out, in addition to 14 original made-for-streaming movies featuring all the characters from South Park that will be exclusive to Paramount+. Plus. Why is this interesting? Well, the home of South Park's back catalog is HBO Max, but the home of these movies is going to be Paramount+. Plus, and this makes my brain hurt. So... It is going to be really cool, though. We're going to get a lot more South Park content. I'm someone that greatly enjoys South Park. I enjoy the fact that they don't start working on an episode until a week before the air date, which tends to make it a bit more topical based off current events. But the documentary, if you guys have seen, like called South Park One Week to Air, it's just fascinating the work those guys do in a week to put a new episode out. And the fact they're going to have six more seasons do that in addition to movies I'm excited. Both Trey Parker and Matt Stone are also excited. They said, uh, quote, when this was announced, we can't get, excuse me, we can't wait to get back to traditional South Park episodes, but now we can also can also try out new formats. It's great to have partners who always take a chance with us. And if you've gone and watched some of the things these guys have done throughout the years, like South Park's been their bread and butter. That's how they've made their money. But they also did Team America, World Police, a movie about puppets that, that was like called back to the old, uh, was it the Thunderbirds TV show and stuff like that, where they had robots and things like that. But it was a a movie about puppets. They did the Book of Mormon, a play. They've done all sorts of different things, but they've used South Park to be their way to get in the door, do crazy weird stuff on there, and then do other crazy and weird things. So I can't wait to see what they do with this money that's coming in the door that's going to allow them to do six more seasons, 14 movies, and probably spin off into some other exclusive content coming from those super talented Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Whether you like their sense of humor or not, you have to admit they've kind of carved out a unique and interesting empire. And they did also go to war with Scientology 
and they kind of won. Like Scientology mm-hmm. was digging through their trash cans trying to find dirt on them. Like, go ahead. We, we live our lives in public and do stupid stuff there, so you're probably not going to find much. <laughs> it was fascinating to watch that happen. And yeah, kudos to these guys. Six seasons, 14 movies, and a boatload of cash. I think they're only second to the Simpsons in this, you know, genre and, and type and everything. Because the Simpsons, I think they just got renewed for 30, a total of 34 seasons. I think they Correct. had 32 that have aired. They had 700 episodes. They've got a bunch of movies and specials and stuff like that out there. So between the Simpsons and South Park, I mean, that, that's amazing between those two. South Park will be the longest running cable television program because of this deal as it is ah. right now. And then the Simpsons, I think, are, is probably the longest running non-cable or just television show in general and you know what it's not too far behind is honestly probably family guy too it's what season 20 something at this point in time Uh, i didn't know uh, family guy was still on i I mean i don't watch it very much anymore but it it, is still on and it makes money for fox i think they've got 19 seasons so far and i don't know how many they're renewed for it depends well, on how happy Fox is with Seth MacFarlane right now. And he's been yeah. taking some shots at him. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just leave it at that. I think it's uh, 20 seasons so far, according to the Google machine. Fox has taken some shots at Seth already. You know that. And he does have an exclusive deal with NBC for all of his new stuff at this point in time. So between his Hulu program, the Orville, which just wrapped season three production or season three filming, and his deal to produce new content for NBC, I don't think he's too worried about whenever Fox decides they want to be done with Family Guy. And to be honest, he's kind of hinted at in interviews before that he's shocked it's lasted this long and he's kind of bored with it. Well, Seth also had Cosmos, if I'm remembering correctly. He did the Cosmos series, uh, which Mm. is a science uh, miniseries, basically, which, well done. I mean, it was based on the the one from the eighties, but it was redone. And then they did a couple other seasons. Anyway, I want to get back to your original one. I have not watched a single episode all the way through of South park, but I know you're a big fan. So this is fantastic news for you. Yeah. I'm super excited. And it's, they do a very good job of taking current events and playing both sides of opinion, basically to point out the ridiculousness that everyone has on it and then make a gag out of it. I enjoy it. It's fun. And we kind of need it sometimes based off of a very, a varying amount of world events. Please don't read it as soon as politics. It could be global warming. It could be any of these things. South Park takes shots at everything. Nobody is safe. And that's what's so fun about it to me. They haven't taken a shot at us yet. I don't think we're big enough to be on their radar. But if they want to take a shot at us, that'd be awesome. Feel free. I'll have you know that they've never taken a shot against Canada ever. Blame Canada. Oh, hey, well, you can't use it here. Can't use it here. Uh, <laughs> I just said blame Canada in a sing song. Fair enough. Time. Fair enough. All right, well, let's go on to the next news point here, which is uh, apparently it's a delay cast because we got another delay here. We do. This is actually an extension of a story that Stephen first brought to you two weeks ago, and then I doubled down last week. It's about Boeing Starliner OFT2 launch. And we talked about it having been delayed because of the whole International Space Station issue. Well, now it's delayed indefinitely and the capsule is heading back to the factory. What happened? Well, for those waiting for Boeing CST-100 Starliner crewed capsule launch system, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. The Starliner's on-crewed OFT-2 mission needed for human space 
flight accreditation, by the way, is now on hold indefinitely. An issue with the atmospheric moisture intrusion into the propulsion system valves has been noted. This issue was first noted on August 3rd, 2021. It was not present in earlier pad abort tests for the first or for the first OFT mission. So this is a new issue that has cropped up, and it's cropped up because of the time of year that they tried to launch this one versus the time of year that they tested for the uh, pad abort and the first OFT mission. So this valve malfunction could even require a complete redesign of the valve system, by the way. In order to work the issue, NASA and Boeing have decided to decouple Starliner from the Atlas V booster that it was on, which is being reused for another flight now, by the way, and return the capsule to Boeing's commercial crew and cargo processing facility known as, get this, C-3BF, C-3BPF, C-3PF at Kennedy Space Center. At this time, due to other priority missions launching from Cape Canaveral, the earlier, the earliest a Starliner mission could launch would be November 2021, but the flight could be delayed until sometime in 2022 as well. Based on this new time frame, the first crewed flight test or CFT-1 mission for a Starliner would be sometime in 2022 at the earliest. So here's what happened there was some moisture in the fuel lines that got trapped in the valves. They think it is from the atmosphere, but they're not 100% sure. It could have been because there was a, a rainstorm that came through. It could have been due to that, or it just could be because of the time of year that everything was packed up because there's more moisture in the air. So they don't really know. So this is going to take some time to test, and I'm glad they found it before they launched. This was not a noted issue before the whole Russian module issue with the International Space Station because it sat out in the weather a little bit longer. This became an issue. And I'm like I said, I'm glad they found it now versus in the future when you're actually trying to launch people into space. So good on finding this. And then they will undoubtedly have a solution. Don't know when that's going to come or what that's going to entail. Both NASA and Boeing have both said they have full confidence in the team and the hardware and that they will work the issue. So, guys, this is an unfortunate issue for Boeing, but good on NASA that they actually have SpaceX and Crew Dragon. So we can still go back and forth to the International Space Station without having to depend on the Russians or Chinese or whoever else has a rated man, uh, rated crewed uh, capsule, human crewed capsule. Now, so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to finding out what's going on and then moving ahead. That said, Boeing, and we've talked about Boeing quite a bit on this podcast, you know, the whole MH370 thing. We don't know what happened with that. It could have been a malfunction, an electrical malfunction on the 777. We don't know. There was the 737 MAX issue. There was this issue with the, uh, the, the OFT-2 mission, there was the OFT-1 failed mission. Uh, Boeing and Boeing Space, really, they just have not had a lot of luck lately. And uh, they're going to need a win here. They, they honestly are. Th this is a make or break for Boeing, in my opinion, before confidence starts to radically break in Boeing's capability to uh, provide safe air and space travel. 
If I were a stockholder, I'd have concerns right now. Let's just leave it at that. Between the myriad of things you just listed and this on top of that, I would have concerns. That is what I mentioned in our Discord mm -hmm. server. And I also put a disclaimer that I don't own any Boeing stock outright. And I should have put in that disclaimer. I have funds that might have Boeing stock in it, but I, it's when you have a mutual fund, you don't mm -hmm. really buy it because of the big stock in it. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I also probably have mutual funds with it, but I, as far as I know, do not directly own any Boeing stocks. This is just me commenting from the peanut gallery going, yeah. I'd feel very uncomfortable. Yeah, me too. So do you think this was a good thing then that the delay happened? I think it's good in the long term. So take the shuttle program, for instance, right? So you had the, the whole Challenger issue where they tried to launch it when it was too cold. That was a different weather environment that they launched it in. And uh, the engineers said, OK, but it was never tested. Right. And then you end up with a big explosion this way you're not going to get that big explosion. You're going to work the problem. You're going to fix the issue and you're going to move ahead. So from that perspective, it's a good thing, especially when you're talking about a system that's going to take humans into space. It's a bad thing because you've gotten this far. This was supposed to be your crowning achievement before you actually put humans in space. And they find such a huge problem that 13 of the valves don't work. So that's bad. But it's good that they found out before they put a person on the rocket. Yeah, that's. Oh, I, I think you summarized it perfectly with if I was a stockholder, I'd be concerned for sure. Someone's going to get fired. Mm -hmm. That's all I know. Someone's going to get fired. Probably. Yeah. Probably more than one of them. And you we'll know see. who might get fired? A designer at Twitter. Ha! Segue. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> if you didn't notice this, this past weekend, Twitter made some changes to what you were seeing on the Twitter sphere. When they released some new designs and... Did we get our edit button finally? No, we didn't get our mm. edit button. No, but... Do you want an edit button? I could put an edit button in there. It's not going to do anything. <laughs> sometimes, like when I make a dumb misspelling, I yeah. have to go back and look at it and go... Ugh. You know what? Actually, Let's take a sidebar here because current messengers, current social media platforms all should have edit buttons. And it's not that hard to have edit history. It's like I get, I get back in the day before it was easy to have to show edit histories. You didn't necessarily want people to go on putting something out there and then changing and going, ha ha, look at you. You liked my tweet, which is not what it originally was. But we uh, we have edit histories now. And this annoys the heck out of me because I am terrible at proofreading, but I actually am pretty good at grammar overall. Like, uh, I am somebody that recognizes when people use the wrong there or there. I recognize when people make those typos, but I tend to do it really quick in a, in a just off-the-cuff message. And then just like, like seconds later, I'm just like, oh, I should have actually read what I wrote before I hit send because I would have seen that I just clearly typed the wrong one. So uh, it irritates me when I'm using a messaging service. And then it's like, okay, I could go. Some of them you can go and you could delete them. But then it's like, Stephen has deleted a message. And then they're like, what'd you do? Did you send me that picture you didn't mean to send me? And, and all these other comments come. So, you know, I agree. Edit buttons should definitely exist. Did you send a Richard picture? No, I did not send a Richard picture. Okay, I'm just checking. <laughs> <laughs> so what does Twitter have for us? Oh, right. We were doing a news story about Twitter. I forgot about that. Pain. Uh, <laughs> That's what they have for us. Pain. They have lots of Richard pictures, too. Uh, <laughs> Probably. 
<laughs> no, Twitter went, they rolled out some design changes. That's what they did. They rolled out some design changes, a new font, and apparently it didn't go over well for some pretty good reasons. And so they announced, quote, we're making contrast changes on all buttons to make them easier on the eyes because you told us the new look is uncomfortable for people with sensory sensitivities. We're listening and iterating, is what they said, end quote. Now, here, here's the thing is, though, they reverted a bunch of things, and that's just because it really didn't go over well. And I want to just highlight that some of the comments that came up were about people that actually have situations that does affect how they read things and and people do who do have sensory issues and things like that. Apparently, they just chose a really bad combination of things, and it made it really hard for certain people to read. Uh, one of the quotes that I had seen, the person was talking about how the new typeface worsened their astigmatism. So they ended up, you know, ha having a headache after the change. So I think that this is one of those things where a designer went, hey, hey, I'm a designer. Let me design things. It looks pretty. But then they didn't actually do enough research. Kind of like Google should have done some bloody research when they went and they redesigned all of their icons. And at first glance, now they look exactly the same because they use the exact same layout and the exact same coloring. And they completely screwed the pooch on those. Again, yeah, I digress. in like two days. I digress. But it's branding. <laughs> it's true. So anyways, Twitter, Twitter made some changes and then changed back. And we'll see where it lands at the end. But I wanted to mention it. wonder if this headache is because the user was actually reading their feed for a while. First time in a while. <laughs> Twitter just, does give people a lot of headaches. <laughs> I mean... I, I hate the fact that if you haven't used an account in a couple of days, it sends you a recommendation. This is if you're using the official Twitter app, right? I'm like, no, I can't. And you can't turn it off. So all you can do is say, I don't want to see more of these. But then they just pick another category to send it to you. So Twitter, you suck. <laughs> I, I'm not going to not going to argue with on that. I'll be honest, I don't use the official Twitter clients, so <gasps> I wouldn't have noticed. The only time I go to the actual Twitter.com is when we're doing this show so I can bring up Twitter for any show interactions going on. Otherwise, if I'm on my iPad, I'm using TweetBot. If I'm on my phone, I use Talon for Android, I think it is, because I prefer the third-party apps because they let me control better what it looks like and what it does. So, Chris, you are what is known as a Twitter elitist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Twitter's native app sucks. Uh, okay, you brought up Talon. Here's the thing that I, I want to do a big Gunna Geek show callback here. I never could get over the fact that they made that bug that you talked about many, many years ago where it ended up downloading everybody's timeline <laughs> over mobile data. I never I never I could get over that. that. And so I actually, after that day, after that story, I, I left it on there for a long time, disabled a whole bunch of the things to make sure it would never happen. But I never got back into my workflow because I was afraid. And then I just deleted it one day. Well, I will say this. There are a variety of other Android Twitter apps that are out there. And just don't use the regular Twitter app. It sucks. The only thing it's good for is group DMs because you can't do group DMs and third-party Twitter clients because Twitter locked that part of the API away so people can't get to it. Fair enough. So there you go. That's your news for this week. Hopefully it'll hold you over for an extra week. If you want to chat with us in between, why don't you come over to our Discord? It's gunageek.com slash Discord. 
We'd love to have you come over and join us there and chat with us because a lot of these things that we talk about on here, somewhere along the week get mentioned. Sometimes it's after we record, sometimes it's before. And there's lots of chatter that happens in our Discord server about these things. And guess what? A lot of times people disagree with our opinions. So we would love if you would come over and chat with us over there. Give us your take on these things. Let us know. And hey, maybe you got something cool that you think we'd be interested in talking about on the next episode of the Gunna Geek Show. Have some fun over there. We talk geek stuff. We, well, everything's geek stuff, but we talk tech stuff. We talk gaming stuff. We talk space stuff. We even have a memes channel over there. And sometimes, sometimes, if you're lucky, you can just see SP go in there and he will give you a unique locker code that you have to make a destination trip to find the locker, enter the code, and in there is a key. A key that you have to go across the country again. And you have to go and find a hidden time capsule. And if you open that time capsule, you will find the clue to where you can find a lock of SP's hair. Sometimes that happens in the Discord server. that's very rare indeed. Not as rare as Chris, but it's very rare. (laughs) It'd be a lock of beard hair because there ain't much hair left on the top of my head. Fair enough. Yeah, it it all migrated to my face. Is there anything that either of you would like to plug or promote? So I talked about last week that we had David propose on All Things Good and Nerdy to talk about his Kickstarter for the OZ issue number two. That Kickstarter officially started today on August 16th as we are discussing this. And the last I had checked, I hadn't had a chance to back it yet, but that's okay because it's already met double its goal in less than a day. So yeah, congratulations to David. And if you would be interested in a comic, that's kind of a modern riff on the Wizard of Oz where they are in the occupied zone. I strongly encourage you to go check that out. You can find that on the All Things Good and Nerdy RSS feed more details on that and an interview with David where he describes the project. It's fantastic. David's a really cool guy. I'm congratulations to him for that great success of again, being funded in less than a day. What's this RSS feed you speak about? It's a Riz feed. That's what I like to a call Riz it. Feed. Is a Riz feed. A Riz feed. Do I get that through my Spotify? It's a really smart syndicator is what I call it. Okay. A really smart syndicator. Mm-hmm. Is this to do with my smart home? Yeah. You hook it into HomeKit which then hooks into Amazon voice services. And then if you get ift, you can hook it into Google assistant and then you can tell it to do all sorts of crazy things. It's awesome. You're going to love it. I guarantee it. Oh, that sounds pretty cool. I should check this out. And it matters a lot, Steven. Where, where do I buy this from? Stevencast.com. Okay. So stevencast.com and that's where I get this for my smartphone. I don't know if I own that still, so you might not want to go there. (laughs) You can try stargatepioneer.space. Okay. We'll we'll give that a try as well. It's also at nerds.live and geeks.live. You can find it there. All right. SP, is there anything that you would like to plug or promote? Yeah, we're having a really good time over on Better Podcasts, but what I really want to promote is over on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we're going down What If, and I didn't realize how much fun I would have just watching a What If episode. For those that don't know, What If is a uh, just an alternate possibility. It, it didn't really happen, but it's just an alternate, hey, if, if something different happens, how that would pan out. And it was just it was a fun watch and we had fun talking about it on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then we'll have fun talking about this next one because it's going to deal with T'Challa as Star-Lord. 
It yeah. is Chadwick Boseman's last appearance in the MCU. It yeah. is actually Chadwick Boseman's voice. Yes. yes. They recorded it before his death. Because if you, those of you who don't know, what if is a cartoon? Um, I will wait and see how I feel about next episode. So far, not looking like my cup of tea overall. Did you enjoy... You're a comic guy, Steve. We know that yes. because you used to do a comic podcast. Yeah. Did you enjoy the books that Marvel put out, the what-if titles that would be like Never got a one-shot? No. Okay. See, I loved those. Like, I loved all the different what-if, Elseworld kind of... DC called them Elseworlds, where it was outside of canon and they put a weird twist on things. That's just a ton of fun of me, to me, imagining what they could do differently when not constrained by canon. So, for me, the what-if stuff was a ton of fun because... This is, we're going to play in this sandbox because the consequences don't really matter. We can do some really weird stuff. I almost said a different word. <laughs> my, my reservations right now are the, um, I'm going to say quality of animation. I feel like it's lacking. Fair. But, it is an odd animation um, style in comparison to some other ones. It reminded me of the Titan AE animation, which was hand-drawn versus mm. computer, computer generated. So it's it, just what it reminded me of. And also... So this first episode did a lot of cliche things that you would yeah. think think you would have in a what if story, and I don't want cliche. I think there was a better, there was a a different sandbox for them to play in. So, well, let me let me put it this way: uh, the the individual uh, Captain Carter, uh, Captain Carter is the one character, one storyline that they are bringing over into season two. So you can Fair treat enough. this kind of like. Captain America, the first Avenger, where it was like, eh, okay, we see where Captain America came from. But then you got, boom, the rest of the MCU yeah. with him, and it was great, right? So this, this is probably the same thing. Steven, did you enjoy the Marvel Zombies comic books? No. no. Then there's an episode you're going to hate. Okay. Um, also, <laughs> I, I would rather it have been live action, but I get why they didn't do it. Yeah. Good luck getting those folks to come back for live action right now. Yeah. We went through the entire casting uh, on, on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. last week. And one of the things that I did is I mentioned what everybody was known for outside of the MCU. <laughs> so I didn't mention any of their Marvel stuff. So you might recognize, uh, what was it, Samuel L. Jackson. So you might recognize Samuel L. Jackson as Mace Windu from Star Wars, you know, stuff like that. Snakes on this expletive plane. Yeah, we went over that. And of course, you know, his big movies that made him and stuff. So, yeah. I, so I did that with everybody, and it, and it was just a lot of fun. Cool. It was a lot of work for me to put together beforehand, but it was a lot of fun. Well, I'll see. Like I said, I'm not going to judge it too hard yet. I'll give it at least another episode, but that's where I'm kind of feeling right now. But in any case, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah, you know, I have to say, there I've talked about some of the things I haven't liked about everything outside of WandaVision, and Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., though, is, has been that nice relief because it gives me something enjoyable even in situations that I haven't been enjoying the source material. So, so. Well, thanks. So for episode number 388 of the Official Gonna Geek Show, I'm Stephen John Drew saying I look forward to the next segment, which is SP Spacesuit Symposium. Guide your spacesuits, only $100 million a copy, and I may or may not be able to deliver I'm Chris Farrell, and if there's only one thing I've learned from South Park, it's hashtag Blame Canada. It's fair. It's fair. Bye! I want some Canadian bacon. <laughs> mm, <damn. laughs>
checking out another episode of the official gunnageek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.